ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ंडलम universe universe bhagavata bhagavata of the supreme personality of godhead of the supreme personality of godhead ananta murte ananta murte in the form of ananta dev in the form of ananta dev sahasras shirashah sahasras shirashah who has thousands of hoods who has thousands of hoods ekasmin ekasmin on one on one eva eva only only shirshani shirshani hood ट्रांसलेशन This great universe, situated on one of Lord Ananta Dev's thousands of hoods, appears just like a white mustard seed. It is infinitesimal compared to the hood of Lord Ananta. There is no purport, so we we'll go to text three. Translation and purport for text three. At the time of devastation, when Lord Ananta Dev desires to destroy the entire creation, he becomes slightly angry. Then, from between his two eyebrows, appears three-eyed Rudra. carrying a trident this rudra who is known as sankarshana is the embodiment of the 11 rudras or incarnations of lord shiva he appears in order to devastate the entire creation in each creation the living entities are given a chance to to close their business as conditioned souls when they misuse this opportunity and do not go back home back to godhead lord sankarshan becomes angry the 11 rudras expansion of lord shiva come out of lord sankarshana's eyebrows due to his angry mood and all of them together devastate the entire creation om agyanati mirandasya gyananjana shalakaya chakshurun militam yena tasmay shri gurave namaha shri chaitanya manobhishtam sthapitam yena bhutale svayam roopa kadamayam ृपाभ्यो वैष्णवेभ्यो नमो नम जय श्री कृष्ण चैतन्य प्रभु निनंद श्री अद्वैत गदाधर 
श्रीवासादी गौरभक्तवृंद हरे कृष्णा हरे कृष्णा कृष्ण कृष्णा हरे 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 राम हरे राम 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 हरे 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 कृष्णा um so we have just started a new chapter uh this is verse 2 and 3 that we are discussing of the new chapter before this we just finished discussing about um the um the subterranean heavenly planets and now sukhdev goswami has moved on to discussing the glories of anantadev and why this progression has happened because in the previous chapter in the last verse he finished describing patalaloka which is one of the subterranean heavenly planets and now he is describing how lord anantadev is situated at the core of pataloka so below pataloka and therefore he has naturally progressed to describe the glories of lord anantadev now like most of us know lord anantadev is an expansion of the supreme personality of god he is lord vishnu's expansion and um, he actually is sustaining this entire universe that's what prabhupada explains in the synopsis of this chapter as well on all his rules is uh, sustaining this entire universe and you know these descriptions that we hear they actually make us realize the greatness of the lord and that is why shri prabhupada was always so insistent that read shrimad bhagavatam in sequence do not jump straight to the past times or do not skip some of the chapters thinking they are too technical like obviously this was a very technical section fifth canto is very technical it tests the faith of many people because it describes the various Uh, the vedic cosmology describes in great detail and there you know we hear descriptions which are never heard of before like the different oceans like if you tell someone there's a sugarcane ocean or an ocean made of ghee it actually tests their faith so we see and the whole description of where everything is situated how the surya you know we saw how the surya dev is also rotating in the universe how it's going through various constellations so it was all a very technical description that we've gone through but shri la prabhupada says it's very important we do that we still go through that we read it in sequence and what more proof is there that it should be done in this sequence than maharaj parikshit who is listening very patiently he is on his death bed now nobody can have more urgency than maharaj parikshit we all know we are going to die but we don't think we are going to die in 6 or 7 days that's not the realization that we have i know we could die at any moment but we we don't have that you know realization or that specially speaking of me that understanding that i will die soon so there should be an urgency that sense of urgency no one would have a greater than maharaj parikshit but even then he is very systematically listening to all these narrations from his uh, spiritual master sukhdev goswami in fact it is described also that he tells he prompts sukhdev goswami that do not rush through any sections like please describe to me in great detail so who would be a more uh, more appropriate uh, recipient of just listening to the leelas of the lord when you are about to pass away when you are on your deathbed obviously you want to do leela smarana so who would be more re- re- appropriate recipient than maharaj parikshit but we still see he is not doing that and sukhdev goswami is also not doing that being the speaker of bhagavatam he is still going very systematically and he is still going in detail about creation like if you proceed through the chapters in some of the chapters there are prayers and we saw that in the fifth canto the different varshas uh, the lokas of different varshas are praying now sometimes you know as devotees when we read these prayers they seem so similar they seem so repetitive sometimes oh yeah lord you are great you are manifesting this whole cosmos like you know similar prayers we would feel like that in our conditioned states again speaking of me but we see maharaj parikshit is never tiring of hearing his glories he is drinking all this through the this nectar through his ears 
so we are, we are being given these descriptions about the greatness of the lord only to make us realize how infinitesimal we are and like it said in verse 2 translation it said that this whole gigantic universe is resting only on one foot of ananta dev and that too in that one foot also it appears like a mustard seed and ananta dev has thousands of foot so imagine on one of the foot there is a universe which is appearing like a mustard seed so that gives us the a description of how great the lord is and then when we read about lord ram's pastimes in the ninth canto or lord krishna's pastimes in the tenth canto we will tend not to take them cheaply we will not tend to think of like take them sentimentally or emotionally because we have realized that he is all this what we are reading right now so even destruction is very systematic now here we are this seeing uh, an aspect of lord sankarshan and rudra is being introduced over here so it is said that um, um lord shiva always has lord sankarshan or ananta dev in his heart all the time he is residing it said that is the that lord ananta dev considers that his glory that he is residing in the core of the heart of lord shiva and therefore lord shiva and you know we see in the verse 3 how he is coming out from the eyebrows of lord ananta dev and ananta dev becomes angry so because he has manifested from lord sankarshana when of lord shiva's name is given as sankarshana like vasudev vasudev like that so one of lord shiva's name is sankarshan which is described in verse 3 so shiva is addressed as sankarshan because of that reason now destruction is also very systematic for example like you know if some house has to be demolished demolished or a building has to be demolished it's not that everybody will jump with hammers and start destroying whatever they want even for that there is a plan in place to destroy one small house also there is a plan first destroy this then destroy this because while destroying things can fall on your own head and you can die if you are not following a systematic plan and order so in the same way we are seeing over here we will see and it's described in the synopsis of this chapter that destruction is also according to the lord's plan only it is not ad hoc it is not uh, untamed it is not violent so it happens when we say ad hoc it happens at a certain time only so when it is the time for devastation only then lord ananta dev gets the desire of destruction or oh, i want to destroy that desire comes when actually it is time for uh, the destruction so it's not that kabhi bhi you know suddenly he got the desire and he destroyed the universe no there is a time for all that so again the time is also very sequential and systematic and how to destroy the universe and what sequence the universe should be destroyed that is also very systematic and we see over here it's described that actually this instruction is given to lord shiva on how to destroy this universe by lord ananta dev and therefore because lord ananta dev is responsible he is involved in the destruction of the universe sometimes he is addressed as tamasi or in the mode of ignorance but obviously he is none other than an expansion of lord vishnu he so we know that he is not tamasi he is in the mode of pure goodness but he assumes this role only so that the destruction that function of destruction can happen in this universe so all these descriptions just help us realize that you know if one expansion of the lord can do such great things that he can destroy this entire universe and the universe is such a small insignificant mustard seed on top of his hood then where are we the jeevas who are insignificant within this universe so it's just making us you know open our eyes to this aspect of the lord so now plus it says here in verse 3 it says that um, at the time of devastation when lord ananta dev desires to destroy he becomes slightly angry it is described now why does he become slightly angry 
So it is said that obviously destruction is in the mode of ignorance and anger is also in the mode of ignorance. Now to destroy something, you know, there is a whole beautiful creation. To destroy that, you need to have a certain constitution or a certain frame of mind. So obviously because of that also he gets angry because if you are, you know, completely uh, transcendental and not displaying any other emotions, obviously his anger is also transcendental. But if that state of mind is not achieved, how will the whole function of devastation happen. So, he becomes angry, but there is a very important reason which Prabhupada describes why he becomes angry. He becomes angry because there were so many opportunities given to the jiva to reform their life. So many opportunities given to the jiva to take to Krishna consciousness or take to devotional service to the Lord. So many opportunities the Lord gives. And how does he give these opportunities? The Lord is a relentless, the Lord is like very persistent teacher and a very loving father, full of compassion. So he himself comes, every yuga yuga he comes. We know there are yuga avatars, there are so many uh, incarnations that keep coming. So he himself comes to attract the jivas back. That is an opportunity which is given. Then he performs so many leelas when he comes. So leela avatars, again he does these to attract people back so that they become attracted to his leelas by seeing his leelas and then they desire that no enough of this world let me go back. He also sends so many of his representatives to actually teach people, preach to people about the glorious path of bhakti and how this material world is futile and to go back to Godhead. And then he sometimes in his books, all the Puranas, the Vedic literature, Srimad Bhagavatam, he has sent so many books as well so that people can take shelter and um, go back or develop the desire at least of going back to Godhead. And if all this is not enough, you know how Samabheda Danda, sometimes he uses Danda. So he will send huge devastations, like those mini devastations he will send like a tsunami or an earthquake. We all experienced, or pandemic, COVID pandemic, yes. So he sends all these reminders. We are in the midst of pandemic, on top of that we all experienced that earthquake a few weeks ago. So these are just reminders by the Lord to make us realize that this material world is temporary. You know those tsunamis, for example if a tsunami comes now, all these houses on the beach road, on Beacons Field Parade, there must be millions of dollars. Everything is gone in one instant. One wave can come and just wash the house away. Or an earthquake happens, buildings and buildings get broken and fallen. So he sends these, mess, these, these reminders to everyone in the material world that this is not a place for permanent residency. Like people celebrate when they get PR of Australia or green card of America or something, they celebrate. But nothing, the whole material world is temporary. Then what you are celebrating permanent residency of one small country. So he is making us realize it's all temporary and he is telling, come back, don't stay here. Because if you don't come back, this is what will happen. And you will anyway lose everything. You might lose your life or your position. Anyway, that is going to happen. So still, still people don't take the message. Still people, not that after earthquake, you know, most of the people became God conscious. They still don't realize this. So we are, we, we, we just, we are just finishing the 12th canto with our uh, teacher, His Grace Keshav Prabhu. Our final, final exam is there next week. And that, that brings us to the end of our 12 cantos of study. So... In the 12th canto, in the 4th chapter, which is entitled as Four Categories of Universal Annihilation. So we see, in, even in the Bhagavatam, this you know, message of annihilation or destruction keeps coming. It's not that it's only there in the 5th canto and then all leelas will start. Again in the 12th canto, there's a reminder. 
when you know the symptoms of kaliyuga being spoke about the deterioration of the age of kali is being is being spoke about again this reminder comes about the four categories again you know still parikshit maharaj uh, uh, sorry parikshit maharaj has not left the world yet he will leave in the sixth chapter but in the fourth chapter again sukhadev goswami is making him he is giving him a reminder of the four types of universal annihilation and those four types of universal annihilation as described by sukhadev goswami are constant annihilation occasional annihilation elemental annihilation and final annihilation so this is the cycle which the universe goes through and jeevas also go through so constant annihilation is nothing but birth disease old age and death because one person one jeeva whether it's in the human form or any other form of life or any species they go through this cycle and that is called as constant annihilation constantly people are dying you know taking birth again dying taking birth again in different different species then the occasional annihilation is the one which happens at the end of brahma's day so we have read all of us have read so many times in the bhagavatam how at the end of brahma's day there is a partial destruction that happens and all the universe is still uh, even the heavenly planets everything gets destroyed except the top three planetary systems janatapa and maharloka only those three are uh, saved otherwise the partial destruction destroys everything in the uh, occasional annihilation and then there is elemental annihilation so elemental annihilation is when everything gets destroyed all the elemental means all the elements merge back into the origin which was you know the egg which where the egg came from so everything goes back into garbhodakshay vishnu he also merges back into the body of mahavishnu and that happens at the end of brahma's lifetime so that is called as elemental uh, annihilation where nothing is left even this whole universal egg is also going back and the jivas are still under sushupti and going back into mahavishnu's body and final annihilation is actually when a jiva realizes his eternal position as being the servant of the servant of the supreme lord and he realizes that this is not his permanent home his permanent home is back in vaikuntha in the spiritual world and he actually gets liberation from the cycle of birth disease old age and that and he goes back home back to god so that is called as final annihilation where he is free from this bondage of his body and of the material world of maya so we see this message of universal annihilation being dis- described again and again and again and we see how the lord becomes angry when a jeeva does not take even though there are so many messages there are so many reminders our own death or near and dear ones death itself is a reminder that this material world is temporary this body is temporary and we see so many times you know there is a term called smashana vairagya smashana vairagya means when somebody dies people become so renounced like even in funeral homes or at the smashan ghat people say oh my god this life is so temporary you know at that time people are very receptive because they have seen somebody of their near and dear one has left the body and gone but why it's called smashana vairagya because it lasts so only till the smashan once people come back home again you know the uh, uh, covering potency of maya takes over again people just go about their normal life and they do not care about okay he has died i also need to now prepare for my next destination so but we see that the lord actually becomes angry because we are not doing that and therefore he you know desires to destroy and then he instructs lord shiva so the rudras come out from between his eyebrow and then they all carry out the um, um the the function of destruction of this or they help lord ananta dev in the function of devastation of this whole world so today we will discuss the it's a very apt verse because today it is actually vijayadashmi as well 
Vijayadashmi is you know a very important festival a very important festival for Vaishnavas it's celebrated by millions it's the day when Lord Ram had victory over Ravana he killed Ravana and it's also the appearance day of Madhavacharya who is one of the prominent acharyas in our own sampradaya and in the four bona fide sampradaya sampradayas he is a prominent acharya but it's very apt that the how the lord gets angry when an opportunity is given to a jiva and in the same way we see this is very uh, symbolic because lord ram gave so many opportunities to ravana as well to reform to give mother sita back to realize that okay you know after he is the supreme lord i should not touch somebody else's property the especially you know i should not try to enjoy the goddess of fortune without her husband so many opportunities lord ram gave but ultimately there was no other um, ram he could not put sense into ravana and therefore he had to ultimately kill him and get the world rid of this particular uh, demon so millions as i said millions of people celebrate this festival now because of lockdown i'm not sure how much celebrations will be happening but otherwise millions of people gather together to celebrate this particular festival of vijayadashmi and it comes at the end of the nine days long navratri which was celebrated so yesterday was navami and today is dashmi so navratri is also an important festival where goddess durga is glorified and celebrated and then on the 10th day the victory of lord ram over uh, ravan is celebrated but how do people celebrate normally if we see they celebrate in india especially they might burn effigies of uh, ravana you know there are some such celebrations they do but the problem is that most of the people like most festivals we see they celebrate it and the occasion is mostly used for social entertainment or to meet each other to exchange sweets or eat sweets like cook nice food eat but the whole spiritual significance of the festival is sometimes lost people do not realize they feel that oh my you know my grandparents my parents my grandparents you know it's been happening the celebration has been happening like this since generations in our family and so we are continuing to celebrate that is how normally people think without actually realizing why am i doing this celebration what was actually the spiritual significance of this festival that i'm celebrating today so very herd mentality we generally see in people especially in kaliyuga so it it is a characteristic that sacred things in kaliyuga are taken very superficially so even the festival like mostly like here we don't have obviously but in india it's a holiday on dashera so people think oh nice it's a holiday go and enjoy break from work and go and enjoy so we see it's such a sacred thing but it's taken very superficially and they lose out the opportunity on going deeper in understanding what this festival stands for and what does it signify in their own life people lose that opportunity normally so this this particular festival is actually both historic and historical and symbolic simultaneously it has both historic and symbolic significance now historically we know today is the day when lord ram had victory over ravana he rid the world of this cruel the world and the universe of this um, cruelty which ravana was doing he actually achieved the essential purpose for which he had come down to this world obviously lord ram had come to the world to get rid of ravana because ravana had created havoc in the whole universe so it's a historical uh, so that way it has historical significance because lord ram killed ravana he rid the world of this cruelty and in terms of symbolic significance dashera actually signifies it today it represents the victory of good over evil and we've heard that many times we've heard that from you know senior vaishnavas even in india sometimes our parents would tell us 
so it it represents the victory of good over over evil it represents the victory of godliness over godlessness it also represents a, a victory of love over hate or envy and it also represents how one can defeat the all powerful maya and how one can establish the supreme personality of godhead in their heart how one can surrender take this opportunity to surrender to the supreme personality of godhead which unfortunately ravana did not take up so um, and it it actually gives us a ray of hope this particular festival because we realize that yes victory will victory will be for the good over evil ultimately the lord will allow good only to prevail like we see even in you know every leela of the lord we see in krishna's past times also how he did not want the adharmic kings to rule and therefore even though if it was through a battle he huge battle he got rid of all the adharmic kings and he established the pandavas the dharmic kings over the uh, kingdom of hastinapur so again you know it's very symbolic because if we see uh, in satya yuga the way people uh, you know the world was divided was devotees and demons used to live in two different planets in satya yuga and then you know as the age keeps deteriorating as it keeps going ahead in treta yuga they became much closer to each other but they would live in two different countries and then dwapar yuga they came even much closer to each other and the devotees and demons would be from the same family like we saw you know kauravas and pandavas same family we saw other completely adharmic and completely dharmic and in kali yuga they are residing the devout devout devotional tendency and demoniac tendencies or the devout devotees and demons are residing within the same body it's come so close so in satya yuga different planets all together but in dwapar yuga which in treta yuga which is the yuga we are talking about where lord ram had victory over ravana ravana used to reside in lanka and lord ram was in india in bharatvarsha so at least it was two different countries and in dwapar yuga at least it was two different families but in kalyuga with everything deteriorating it's residing in the same heart in the same body so for us in kalyuga we are not fighting any demons outside there is no war going on outside i know we have other wars happening but this you know fight fight with the, with the demons and all that is not anything which is external in kalyuga for us it is all inside the war is within the fight is inside all of us we are always fighting the lower tendencies even as devotees again you know speaking of myself always fighting the lower tendencies because the lower tendencies have such a big uh, ten, like they have a big tendency to take over very easily so we are always fighting these lower tendencies in our heart we are always fighting the fighting the conditioning which has been there since millions and millions of lifetimes inside us we are always fighting our bad old habits you know some people like to from their childhood they might have watched lots of movies heard lot of music so it keeps coming you know sometimes in dreams you suddenly think of that song which you used to listen in your childhood or that tendency to watch movies or the tendency to even hear songs or those these old bad bad habits keep coming up the conditioning keeps coming back we are fighting the lower tastes so that we keep being situated in the higher taste so this constant fight is there the inner voice or the you know our consciousness which is the parmatma obviously is always telling us what is right but the mind is always telling us if we have not made it our friend it's always telling us enjoy 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 and it's always dragging us lower and lower and lower so we see this constant fight is there inside us because the demoniac and devotional tendencies both reside in our heart together 
So it is almost said like there is a fight between the good dog and a bad dog. There are two dogs residing inside us. There is a good dog and which represents the higher tendencies, the purpose of real, goal, purpose of life. Well, the goal of life is to achieve, you know, lotus feet of Lord Krishna. So that good dog is there inside us, giving us the message. The voice of the Paramatma is also always reminding us. Are you sure you want to waste your time? Like, you know, so much time goes on social media also. WhatsApp, Facebook, Instagram, so many things take our time away. And that time always there will be a voice which reminds you are wasting time, you are wasting time. You know, that voice reminds us. So we see there is this fight between a good dog and the bad dog. But ultimately, which dog wins? And Srila Prabhupada says, the dog, win, the dog which wins is the dog we feed more. That dog will always win. So if we are feeding the bad dog more, which means we are succumbing to our lower tendencies again and again and again, then that is the dog which will keep winning. However, if you know through determination, through surrender, through the process of bhakti, instructions of so many senior Vaishnavas and Guru, we try to feed the good dog. It might be hard. The good dog might be very weak. And you know, we might see we are feeding the good dog, but nothing is happening. But if we keep feeding that good dog, we will see one day we will be able to have the determination to fight the bad dog off. So Prabhupada says that we keep feeding the good dog even though it is even though it is very hard and we might sometimes see the good dog is not winning. Every time we succumb to our lower tendencies and we think, oh, the bad dog won. But still we keep trying to feed the good dog by trying to do what that inner consciousness or the Paramatma is telling us. Take your Guru is directing from us from within so that that good bad dog regains strength slowly and it helps us in overcoming all these bad tendencies. So we see, actually we see there are so many greatly successful people in Kalyuga, like materialists, they must have so much success. And we, we see so many cases in the newspapers as well. Big, big corporate leaders, like CEOs of organizations, they would have achieved so much, studied in the best universities, achieved so much success in life, but ultimately they give in to that lower tendency, that lust which is there in their heart, and they have an affair with some woman or with some secretary or something like that, or they, you know, did some sexual abuse or something like that. And they ultimately lose everything, even material success they lose. They are removed from that position. They have such a shameful exit from their organization or wherever they are working or even a government position they might be holding. So this lust, which is the all-devouring enemy, which is so strong in our hearts. That is why, you know, we see Krishna also says that. He reiterates that message in the Bhagavad Gita when he says, Kama Esha Krodha Esha Rajogana Samudhava Mahashana Mahapapma Vidhi Enam Iha Vairinam so he says the lust is the all-devouring sinful enemy of this world. And we see Ravana is a representation of that lust. Now the Lord is actually very merciful. So like we said, the Dashera or Vijaya Dashmi actually signifies the victory of good over evil. It signifies the victory of compassion over evil as well. Because the Lord is very compassionate. It's not that he wants to kill these demons. When he comes to this world, or even in the spiritual world, he reciprocated. He is always reciprocating according to the desire of the jiva. Now, if a jiva desires friendship with the Lord, obviously he reciprocates by giving his friendship. If the desire, desire jiva desires love, conjugal love, the Lord reciprocates with the jiva like that. Or if they desire to servitorship, that I want to be your servant, my love, the Lord definitely reciprocates. But there are some jivas who actually desire to be the enemy of the Lord. 
and we see that happening with Ravana. His desire was to fight. We see that happening with Hiranyakashipu and Hiranyaksha as well. Their desire was to be the enemy of the Lord. Their desire was to fight the Lord. So then the Lord is reciprocating like that. Even you know, a jiva, a devotee might sometimes have the desire to fight, like we see Bhishma did. He was in Virya Rasa, but that is in devotion. So then the Lord reciprocates accordingly. And that time the Lord did not feel the arrows of Bhishma, they were piercing him or they were causing him some. He felt there were flowers coming on him. Because the Lord loves, he loves a good fight and he loves to fight with none other than his devotees. But in case of Ravana or Hiranyakashipu, and of course we know their spiritual position, but in this material world they had this desire to be the enemy of the Lord. So the Lord had to reciprocate like that. So Ravana was given so many chances. The Lord did not just go and slay without any reason. Same way like he gave so many chances to Duryodhana. He himself went as a peace messenger. He tried everything. Same with Ravana. He sent a messenger. Rangadhi sent as a messenger. Vipishana gave good counsel to Ravana. Even Maricha, it started when he was sending him as a golden year. He told him, I have experienced this Ram. Don't even think of going near him or kidnapping his wife. So even before Ravana kidnapped Sita also, he was giving good counsel. But he did not listen because lust. He was completely overpowered by lust for Mother Sita. So Maricha gave him good advice. Even Vibhishan gave him good advice. What to speak of Vibhishan? Even Kumbhakarna gave him good advice. He said, for one woman you are fighting, just return his wife to him. Why do you want this whole war to happen? But he did not agree and Kumbhakarna said, okay, I am committed to you so I will help you fight in this war. But he knew he was going to die. And even Mandodari, so I was, when I was preparing for the class, I was hearing when uh, Ravana died and he collapsed on the ground, dead, you know, with so much blood coming out of all his mouths and he collapsed on the ground. That time Mandodari came to Ravana and she was holding him and she was beating her chest and she was lamenting. She was saying that I, she, because Mandodari had also given good counsel to Ravana. But he said, I gave you good counsel. I said, don't go behind this chaste woman. She is the wife of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Why do you want to enjoy her when you have so many other wives to enjoy? And all of Ravana's wives were very beautiful. It's not that, you know, they were some, you know, pure looking Rakshasis. He had very beautiful wives, but he was not satisfied. And Mandodari says when she is over, over the dead body of Ravana, she says that, your lust, the lust in your heart has brought about your downfall and the curse of a chaste woman has actually made you meet with your nemesis, with your end. So we see he received so much good advice but he did not heed to any of the good advice. And very symbolic because today's verse also says, Prabhupada says so many opportunities are given to a jiva but they do not take up that opportunity to become God conscious. And then obviously the Lord becomes angry, Anantadeva becomes angry and he wants to destroy in the same way, obviously, Ravana was not returning Sita. Even when Vibhishan came to surrender to Ram, and you know, the monkeys were questioning that should we take him, he is the brother of the enemy, this, that, there was a big discussion. And that time Ram says that anyone who surrenders to me, I will never fail to give him shelter. If tomorrow Ravan comes and says that I am surrendering to you, my Lord, I will not kill him, I will take him under my shelter. So the Lord gave so many opportunities to, for somebody to surrender but obviously then he became angry because he had to, it was his duty to save Mother Sita and he had to rid the world of the cruelty of Ravana. 
so we see that is why he came he achieved the purpose on the day like on today he achieved the purpose for which he had descended on this earth gave so many opportunities to ravana to reform but ultimately he had to kill him so we will not go into the details of how he killed him we all know that story how agastya muni had given him a weapon and vibhishan then advised him that your yeah, because lord ram kept trying to uh, cut off the heads of ravana but every head was again and again going back and he was getting baffled so again you know it's very um, it's very uh, it's very instructive and it's so nice to see that the lord is always wanting to give credit to his devotees now he is the supreme personality of god and know all knower he wouldn't know how to kill ravana but he gives the credit to vibhishan of giving him the advice and vibhishan tells him now there are different versions so, you know one version says that vibhishan tells him it was in the heart the nectar is in the heart and we kill you know you pierce the heart of ravana and uh, that nectar will dry up and in another version it's in the navel so different yugas different versions are there but that weapon had been given to him by agastya muni the arrow with which ravana would be killed and then vibhishan revealed to him that no point in cutting off his heads because they are coming going to keep coming back you just attack that nectar which is there in his heart and that's how lord ram taking the advice of vibhishan he killed ravana so we will move on which is also the appearance day of madhavacharya so there is a beautiful book which has been written by none other than our param guru bhakti siddhanta saraswati thakur called as life and teachings of the four acharyas it's a wonderful book so i was reading that book to prepare for the class and very nice points he says over there so what what we understand from our readings of these books is that there are four authorized sampradayas from four sources in this world four authorized or bona fide vaishnava sampradayas so one one sampradaya comes from brahma the other one comes from lord shiva which is rudra sampradaya the other one comes from lakshmi devi herself which is shri sampradaya and then the last one is from the kumaras the sons of brahma and there are four prominent acharyas who came in kalyuga to actually uh, preach or spread the message of these four sampradayas so in the rudra sampradaya we see vishnu swami came to propagate this particular sampradaya and their philosophy is called as shuddha advaitavad so that is rudra sampradaya the kumara sampradaya sampradaya there was a great devotee called nimba aditya who was also called as nimbarkacharya and their philosophy was dvaita advaitavad and then we have the shri sampradaya where we had ramanujacharya who came and their philosophy is vishishta advaita and then coming to brahma sampradaya we have madhavacharya who came in kalyuga and that philosophy is called as dvaitavad so these are the four prominent acharyas who came and these are the four philosophies which um, which are significant or symbolic of these four sampradayas now baldev vidya vidyabhushan in his writings he first referred, referred to the term gaudiya brahma madhava gaudiya sampradaya in his book called premaya ratnavali prameya ratnavali he referred to this terminology you know we we call ourselves as a brahma madhava gaudiya sampradaya so that terminology was first said by baldev vidyabhushan in prameya ratnavali and therefore sometimes some people mistakenly think that actually baldev uh, vidyabhushan is the one who identified gaudiya vaishnavas as brahma madhava gaudiya sampradaya but this is not the uh, correct bhakti siddhanta saraswati thakur says in his book that this is not correct so he says that gadadhar pandit gadadhar pandit who is one of the panchatatva his disciple was gopal guru 
and gopal guru goswami's disciple was dhyana chandra goswami who accepted brahma madhva gaudiya sampradaya so at that time itself it was called brahma madhva gaudiya sampradaya and even going back to the source chaitanya mahaprabhu himself he took initiation from shri ishwara puri whose spiritual master was uh, sanyas initiation whose spiritual master was madhavendra puri so madhavendra puri is the guru of ishwara puri and he is from the madhva sampradaya brahma madhva sampradaya so that is how chaitanya mahaprabhu established that link between gaudiya vaishnavism and brahma madhva sampradaya by becoming by taking initiation from shrila ishwara puri whose guru was madhavendra puri who is actually coming from the brahma madhva sampradaya in fact it is described that madhavendra puri so obviously um, the madhavacharya the madhavas we say or the brahma madhavas they have a different way of worshiping the supreme personality of god and we see udipi krishna who is the main deity for the madhavas or people who are followers of that particular sect or vaishnavism they worship udipi krishna who is standing with a churning rod and a rope and butter and there is no radharani or anybody like no gopi bhav is there in that particular worship but madhavendra puri was the first acharya in that sampradaya who actually manifested gopi bhav and he actually accepted shrimati radharani's position as being the best devotee of lord krishna and when he was leaving this world he was so much in separation and he was reciting verses about gopi bhav so that you know vipralamba seva that is something which madhavendra puri first propagated even though he was from the uh, brahma madhava sampradaya now bhakti vinod thakur and bhakti siddhanta saraswati thakur they have both written extensively about these sampradayas so it is said during bhakti vinod thakur's time the people generally in bengal in goladesh are not so much aware about these four sampradayas and the vaishnavism how it should, it should, one should take initiation from a bona fide sampradaya not so much awareness was there so through sajjana toshni the magazines that he used to write he used to talk to people about these sampradayas and then bhakti siddhanta saraswati thakur also took up that baton and he also kept writing books about the four sampradayas In fact Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur when he established he established 64 Gaudiya Mats all over India and um, of one of the mats uh, which he has established in Dhaka that mat is named as Matva Gaudiya Mat so we see how Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur was so respectful of this origin of our sampradaya and if even all of us must have seen when we go to mayapur to the gaudiya mat or the chaitanya gaudiya mat of bhakti siddhanta saraswati thakur we see that he has established the four acharyas deities of the four acharyas and four corners of the temple so we can actually see vishnu swami nimbarka acharya we can see madhava acharya and ramanuja acharya along with the four sources we see the deity of brahma lakshmi kumaras and lord shiva so that is the importance bhakti siddhanta saraswati thakur used to give to vaishnavas connecting to their roots and therefore he had done all these things now even chaitanya mahaprabhu he accepted two principles from each sampradaya when chaitanya mahaprabhu was there he also was propagating about these sampradayas and he accepted two principles from each sampradaya and in fact it is described that these four acharyas took birth in goranila to assist chaitanya mahaprabhu in his uh, preaching mission and in establishing the yuga dharma of the chanting of the holy names so in ramanujacharya he was born as ananta a devotee called ananta who lived next to the house of vallabhat or vallabhacharya and the two fair principles which chaitanya mahaprabhu took from ramanuja sampradaya was ananya bhakti 
which is unalloyed devotion to the Supreme Lord, free of uh, jnana and karma. And the second principle which he took from this particular sampradaya was bhakta jana seva or service to the devotees. So these are the two principles Chaitanya Mahaprabhu accepted from Ramanuja sampradaya. Now Madhavacharya, who you know we will discuss his uh, glories in uh, a few minutes, but Madhavacharya is none other than the third incarnation of Vayudev. So he came as Hanuman to serve Lord Ram, he came as Bhima to serve Lord Krishna and now in during Gaur, uh, uh, in Kali Yuga he came as uh, Madhavacharya. So he is an incarnation of Vayudev or Hanuman or Bhima and in Gaur Leela he was born as Murari Gupta to assist Lord Chaitanya in his pastimes. And the two principles which Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took from the Madhavacharya or Madhava Sampradaya was complete defeat of Mayavad philosophy or it is called Kevale Advaita uh, Nirashana. And the second principle he took was worship of the deity form of Krishna and as accepting Archavigraha as the eternal representation of Lord Krishna. So that is the second principle he took from Madhavacharya. The third one was Vishnu Swami, which Vishnu Swami is the prominent Acharya in the Rudra Sampradaya as we saw. So Vishnu Swami was born as Vallabhabhat, again in Gaudadesh. Also later he was known as Vallabhacharya. And later on by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's blessings, he perfected his own Sampradaya. So Vallabhacharya actually then went into, you know, he followed the teachings of Vishnu Swami and he, you know, the Pushti mark that we see, that is none other than propagated by Vallabhacharya. But he was born as Vallabhabhat during Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's time. And the two principles Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took from Vishnu Swami or from uh, Rudra Sampradaya was total dependence on Krishna. Tadiya Sarvasya Bhav, it's called. Complete dependence or complete shelter of Lord Krishna and Ragamar. Ragamar means spontaneous loving devotional service because they worship the Baal Gopal form of Krishna. So they have that spontaneous Vatsalya Bhav or parental Bhav for Lord Krishna. And then from the Nimbar, from Nimbarkacharya, he was reborn as Keshav Kashmir during Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's times. And from him, he took, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took two principles from Nimbarka Sampradaya, which is also coming from the Kumaras, which is exclusive shelter of Radharana, Ekanta Radhika Shraya and Gopi Bhav. So these are the two principles Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took from that particular Sampradaya. So, um, you know, sometimes the stress is on accepting our, our uh, in ISKCON, especially we see it is being so much propagated that we should accept spiritual initiation from a bona fide guru. And therefore, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, even Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, Bhakti Vinod Thakur, they were all stressing so much the importance of this. And Krishna departed knowledge to Brahma when the universe was created, who in turn gave knowledge to Narad Muni. Narad Muni gave that particular spiritual knowledge to Vyasadeva. And then Vyasadeva gave that knowledge to Madhvacharya. And coming in that lineage, obviously we had Madhavendra Puri, then Ishwara Puri, then Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the six Goswamis, and you know the uh, Shamanan Pandit, the next layers, Baldev uh, Vidya Bhushan, all of these. And then we have our glorious Guru Parampara, Jagannathas, Babaji Maharaj, Bhakti Vinod Thakur, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, and our glorious Srila Prabhupada. Now, few minutes about Madhavacharya's pastime. So, Madhavacharya appeared in South Karnataka in, a whole, in the holy place of Udupi. So, few miles from Udupi is a place called Pajaka Kshetra. And he appeared over there in somewhere around 1238 AD. That is when Madhavacharya appeared. 
Now during that time there was a Brahmin who used to live in Pajaka Kshetra whose name was Narayan Bhatta who was from the Madhya Geha family of Brahmin. So sometimes he was also referred to as Madhya Geha Bhatta. And his wife's name was Vedavati. Now they had two sons but both the sons died prematurely at childbirth. And after that they were childless for many years. And they had a strong desire to have a son, an illustrious son. So they did so many tapasya, so many austerities they did. And it is said that for 12 years they did this austerity. And they used to walk from Pajaksha Shetra Udupis by walking, it's quite a big distance. But every day they would walk there and there is a temple of Ananteshwara. So they would go and worship Lord Ananteshwara in that particular temple. And always Madhya Geha Bhatt's prayer would be, please grant me a son who will do wonderful work for the benefit of mankind. That was his prayer always, he was praying like that. So for 12 years they did it, he said they just subsisted on milk when they were doing these austerities, both Madhya Geha Bhatta and Vedavati. So once, one day the Pujari came out from the altar of um, Ananteshwara and he told Madhya Geha Bhatt that the Lord has indicated to me that very soon an illustrious son will be born to you. So this obviously enlivened uh, Madhya Geha Bhatta and his wife Vedavati and in due course of time, his wife became pregnant and then on this most auspicious occasion of Vijaya Dashmi or Dashera, a very glorious son was born to both of them, whom they named as Vasudev. So Madhavacharya in his childhood's name, uh, childhood was known as Vasudev. Now there are beautiful childhood pastimes of Madhavacharya. So when he was young, when he was five years old, his father had given him the Brahmin thread. So he was already, you know, in a, uh, initiated in the Brahmin thread and extremely intelligent, very, very well versed in the scriptures. So once there was, his father was also owning a piece of land. That is how his father would survive. So once his father had actually taken a bullock from one of the money lenders to help, you know, sow grains and all that. But that year he didn't have any crop. So he didn't have anything to give back to this money lender. And uh, the money lender kept coming and telling, you have to you have purchased this bullock from me, you give me the money, give me the money, give me the money. And he said, I don't have anything. So one day this money lender decided, he said, I am going to wait here outside your house and I will fast till you don't give me my money. Now Madhya Geha Bhatta was an elevated Brahmin. So he knew the honor of receiving a guest and you know the etiquette that till the guest doesn't eat, we can't eat. So because the guest was not eating, guest means that, uh, that money lender was not eating, he could also not eat. And a few days passed like that. And then little Vasudevan came and asked his father, he, obviously he would tell his son to eat and he would say, what about you father? And he said, no I can't eat because this guest is there outside our house and he is refusing to eat. So then Vasudev understood that, okay, he's, you know my father owes some money to this particular money lender. So he said, okay, I will solve this problem. So he actually takes, uh, goes and talks to the money lender and he says, come with me. And behind their house was a tamarind tree. So there were a few tamarind seeds which were fallen on the ground. So he takes those tamarind seeds and he gives them in the hand of the money lender. And because little Vasudev was so charming, just five-year-old boy was so charming and sweet in talking, the money lender also took the tamarind seeds. He didn't get angry what you are giving. Your father uh, owes me money and you are giving me these tamarind seeds. So he, he also took the tamarind seeds from the innocent hands of Vasudev. But then when he opened, he saw they were gold coins. The tamarind seeds had converted into gold coins and they were exactly the same amount of gold coins which his father owed him. 
So Vasudev asked him, he said, is this enough? Do you think this money is enough? And he said, yes, this is exactly, uh, exactly the amount which your father owed me. And then he went to his father and he just said, thank you so much for giving me my money back and you can now eat, I'm going home. So this is a miracle which uh, Vasudev showed in his childhood. He also was extremely playful because he is an incarnation of Bhima and Vayu and Hanuman, very strong physique Madhavacharya had and very involved, very playful, always you know doing mischief here and there and very good in sports and athletics. So all the time he would keep you know playing outside the school, not attend many classes and his teachers would become very upset with him sometimes and the teacher would chastise him. Vasudev, you are spending all your time in playing, how will you learn all the scriptures? And Vasudev said, I already know all the scriptures, you ask me what you want. And the teacher would question him on the syllabus of the school and Vasudev would be able to very easily recite everything. And not only what the teachers had taught, he would recite even things which the teachers had not taught to him. He was such a learned scholar. In fact, when the children used to, you know, play like we see in Lord Nityananda's pastimes, the children would enact lots of dramas based on Puranic stories. Vasudev would be able to, with great accuracy and detail, he would be able to go to the depth of every story and give the children recounts of those stories. And sometimes when elders would listen, they would ask, how do you know all this in so much detail? And he said, oh, I know them from my previous books. So, you know, extremely intelligent, very learned scholar. Sometimes his father used to preach as well because his father was a Brahmin. So when his father would sit and talk and say some shlokas, once his father said a shloka which was not having the correct pronunciation and little Vasudev sitting in the audience actually told his father what is the correct pronunciation of that shloka. So like that he was very intelligent but very playful. And during his playing, when he was playing outside his school, there was actually a demon called Maniman. Now this demon was also there in the previous yuga. So he came in the form of a serpent he was living in that particular area of Pajakakshetra where Vasudev was living. And he actually came and attacked Vasudev. And Vasudev is Vayuputra, he is Hanuman, he is Bhima. Obviously with so much strength he had. So just with one toe of his uh, foot, he pulverized the head of the serpent. And the serpent died instantly. He lost all his uh, air and he died instantly. And it is said that even today, if we go to Pajakakshetra, to Udupi, we can see the tamarind tree from where he took the seeds and made them, made them into gold coins. And we can also see this rock where there is the imprint of uh, the snake because the snake melted, it got pulverized. And we see the imprint of uh, Vasudev's too as well, it is said. And then after killing this demon, he was very late in going home. So his mother was saying from far away he could see earlier his mother saying Vasudev come home it's time for you to eat Prashad and it is said that in one it was you know quite some distance away but in one leap Vasudev jumped and he reached in front of his mother because he did not want his mother, mother to worry more. So in this pastime he displayed both uh, his forms as uh, Hanuman he leaped and went that distance and as Bhima, he actually pulverized with his great strength, he pulverized the serpent. Now when he was around 10 or 12 years old, because obviously he had come to fulfill a certain purpose. So he wanted to take sannyas. And he told his father and he started looking for a guru as well. So he walked to the Ananteshwar temple near Udupi. And he saw, he met a very great elevated devotee called Achyuta Priksha. 
and he decided that he will take accept him as his guru and he started studying under him now achyuta preksha was a very elevated devotee and he started teaching madhvacharya lots of things and madhvacharya slowly expressed the desire that he wants to take sanyas so his father and mother were not seeing madhvacharya much at home and they started getting concerned that he is not coming home he is not coming home so his father went and he went like we see you know sometimes when somebody decides to accept brahmacharya ashram the parents want them to become grahasthas have grandchildren and look after their them in their old age so similarly here we see madhya geha but also does that he goes to udupi and he goes to the ashram of achyuta preksha preksha and he requests uh, vasudev he says please come back home your mother and i are alone we are getting very old who will look after us in our old age it is the duty of the son to look after us but vasudev was completely determined he said no i am going to take sanyas you please give me your blessings so then you know he tried everything he tried pleading madhya geha but he tried crying but nothing was working he even tried i'll attempt suicide and vasudev said okay here is the cloth but he said i am going to take sanyas and then he said madhya geha but said but a son has to look after the parents in their old age who will look after us you are our only child we don't have any other children so then vasudev said he said okay if i fulfill this condition of yours you have to give me approval to take sanyas so that time obviously madhya geha but did not want to agree but he just wanted to diffuse the situation because he thought we are anyway getting so old where my wife is going to have one more child at this age so he said yeah yeah okay but because of vasudev's determination he actually blessed the his mother to have one more son and soon the wife became pregnant in her old age and she had another son so then vasudev again went to his father and said that you had promised me you will give me blessings to take sanyas now you have another son to look after you you have to give me blessings because he was following that culture and etiquette which was there in the olden days that if you don't take blessings of your parents before taking sanyas then you that it is it is not potent or you will not get the effect of that but you or you will get the reactions of not taking blessings from your parents so then you know the parents said no 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 we cannot do we cannot give you blessings to take sanyas you please stay here we cannot bear separation from you and then vasudev ultimately said he told his mother and father that if you give me blessings and i take sanyas i will come and visit you sometimes but if you don't give me blessings i will still take sanyas but i will never come and see you again so then the parents had no choice so with great reluctance they gave him blessings that at least our son will come and see us sometimes and then there was a huge function that was held in the anandeshwara temple and everybody had come from pajaka kshetra and from udupi to witness that this 12 year at the age of 12 vasudev took sanyas that this 12 year old boy is actually coming to take sanyas and achyuta preksha his guru gave him the sanyas name as purna pragna at that time so that was Maha, vasudev's name when he took sanyas and then obviously once he took sanyas the whole purpose for him to take sanyas was to spread god consciousness and devotion to lord krishna throughout the uh, uh, land of holy land of bharata so he started his preaching activities and there was too much advaitism and some remnants of buddhism also there so much of mayavad philosophy and so much of propagation of you know impersonalism was there in the world at that time so his whole efforts were on how to destroy this mayavad philosophy and that's what chaitanya mahaprabhu took as one of the principles that how to defeat mayavadis so that was madhavacharya's whole purpose that no there is an eternal supreme lord who has a form 
and we have to serve him. We are separate. Jivas are separate from him, and we have to serve him. We are not one with the Lord. Because Buddhism is talking about nirvishesh, like Shunyavadi or voidism, that there is no God, there is nothing after death. And Mayavadi say, yes, there is a God, but we become God or we merge into him after death. So both these philosophies he was defeating through his vigorous preaching activities. And most people, you know, they got defeated and they surrendered. And there is a beautiful uh, pastime narrated where the two leaders of Buddhism and Mayavad, Advaitism, they came to debate with this little boy. And they both got defeated. Very systematically he defeated both of them. And they had to, you know, accept humble defeat and they went away from there. So it's like that so many people were surrendering because in those days that culture was there. If you get defeated then you surrender and you become a disciple of that particular person. So many people were surrendering and becoming disciples of Madhvacharya. And Achyuta Priksha saw this potency of Madhvacharya and he actually wanted to appoint him as the leader of the Mutt at that time. So again, you know, he, he called Madhavacharya and all his disciples, there was a big celebration and he appointed him the leader of the Mutt and that time he gave him the name as Ananda, um, as Ananda Tirtha. But he was also lovingly always called as Madhava, Madhava, like that people used to call him because of his devotion to Lord Krishna. And that name, uh, Madhavacharya preferred to be called by that name because it had the name of Lord Krishna in it and therefore his name is more famous as Madhavacharya. Even though he was given these titles, his birth name was Vasudev, then his sannyas name was Purna Pragna. When he became the leader of the month, his name was Ananda Tirtha. But then he, he stuck to that name because he preferred the name Madhavacharya. So he met, once he met, uh, during, you know, he used to take his disciples and tour South India. And during one of these tours, he met the Acharya of the Sringeri Math which is obviously following the Advaita, Shankara uh, Sampradaya, they were following the Advaita school in South India and there was a healthy discussion that started between the both of, between both of them about what Madhavacharya's philosophy is establishing Advaita, establishing there is a personal form of the Lord and we are his servants, Jiva souls are separate and Jiva souls are servant of the Lord. And obviously uh, the uh, Acharya Shringeri Mat was talking about Advaitism. So very systematically again Madhavacharya defeated him. But this Acharya told him, because he was presenting this arguments based on the Shariraka Bhashya, which is the commentary of the Bhagavad Gita by Shankaracharya. And he told Madhavacharya that where are you presenting your uh, philosophical arguments from? What are you basing them on? You don't even have a commentary on the Bhagavad Gita. So then, you know, Madhavacharya thought, okay, I am going to take this as an instruction and I am going to write a commentary on the, a Vaishnava commentary on the Bhagavad Gita. So from, you know, that uh, Acharya who was an Advaitist, he took that instruction, but he said, before I write the commentary on the Bhagavad Gita, I have to take blessings from the original author of the Bhagavad Gita, who is none other than Vyasadeva. So he took few of his disciples and he said, okay, we will, because he knew Vyasadeva never leaves this planet. He's always there in Madhrikashram, sitting and meditating. So he took few of his disciples and he started that trip towards Madhrikashram. And when they reached Badrikashram, he went into the temple of Badrinath. And the disciples were waiting outside and they could actually hear a conversation where uh, Adhvacharya is playing to, praying to Lord Badrinath that give me the empowerment and the blessings that I am able to write a commentary on the Bhagavad Gita. And they could actually see, Badri, the, sorry, the disciples could actually hear him, uh, Lord Badrinath talking to Madhvacharya and telling him, yes, you have all my blessings and you have the empowerment to write. Go ahead and write this commentary. 
and then from there he decided that he has to go to Adi Badri. So Adi Badri is the highest peak in the Badrinath where it is said that Vyasadev lives. So he told his disciples that y'all won't be able to come. Now y'all return. I will go to Adi Badri and I will then come back. I will take blessings from Vyasadev, my eternal guru and then I will come back. But he had a disciple called Satya Tirtha who was always by the side of Madhavacharya, very devoted disciple. And even when Madhavacharya used to like, you know, speak, preach, he was the scribe. He would write down all these books and whatever Madhavacharya was preaching. So Satya Tirtha went with him and they started walking towards Adi Badri. And for days and days they were walking through thick snow without having eaten anything, even without drinking. And Satya Tirtha was becoming completely exhausted. So Madhavacharya then told Satya Tirtha that you will not be able to proceed further from here. You actually go back now where all the other disciples are there and with them you go back to Udupi. And you know with one flick of the hand he actually just touched Satya Tirtha and Satya Tirtha reached where all the other disciples were standing at the foot of Badri Krasha. So obviously because he is Vayu, so one flick of the hand means by the power of Vayu they have Satya Tirtha. Otherwise it had taken them days and days to come to this particular spot. But in one moment Satya Tirtha was there with the other disciples. And then Madhavachari actually proceeded to Adi Badri. So he continued and at last he reached Adi Badri. And over there, sitting amongst the snow under a tree, he had the beautiful darshan of his Gurudev Vyasadeva. And he went and Vyasadeva was surrounded by sages and they were discussing Srimad Bhagavatam at that time. So Madhavacharya goes and pays obeisances to Vyasadeva. He falls like a stick at the lotus feet of Vyasadeva. And Vyasadeva is also so happy to see Madhavacharya and he actually accepted him as a disciple and he gave him blessings to write the commentary on the Bhagavad Gita. So he came back and he wrote the commentary and then now he had a commentary on the Bhagavad Gita so he started preaching very vigorously. And he was also a great singer. So not only was you know great athlete, great physical strength, a very vigorous creature, uh, defeating all the Mayavadis, establishing Dvaitavad, but he was also a very beautiful singer. So it is said he used to compose songs on the glorification of Lord Krishna and he would keep singing them. So one day he was singing like this and he was sitting on the beach, where, which is next to Udipi. And he saw there was a strong wind going, like a storm was happening. And he saw there was one boat which had come from Dwarka. It had got stuck. And just with a wave of his chadar, he actually loosened the boat. Again, Vayudev. So he helped the boat which had got stuck and he directed the boat safely to the shore. So the captain of the boat was so thankful, very grateful to Madhvacharya. And he said, I'm carrying so many valuables in this boat. I want to give you some precious gift. You please accept and Madhavacharya said, I am a simple sannyasi. What will I do with all these gifts? However, sannyasis do apply tilak. And since you are coming from Dwarka, if you have Dwarka's Gopi Chandan is very famous. If you have some Gopi Chandan, that you give me. Because then I can apply tilak. And the captain said, oh, I have blocks and blocks of Gopi Chandan in my boat. Because we use it to balance the boat. Because that will add weight to the boat. So we have used it to balance the boat. I can give you those. So all, you know, they started carrying those blocks and one of the blocks actually fell down on the beach and it crashed open and from there the beautiful deity of Udipi uh, Krishna was, um, uh, had uh, manifested. So Udipi Krishna came. So that beautiful deity manifested where Krishna is holding a churning rod, a rope and some butter in his hand. 
Now there's you know very nice pastime of how this Udipi Krishna manifested. In Dwarka, Mother Devaki was requesting Krishna when Krishna's uh, manifest leelas are there. Devaki says that as soon as you were born, you requested us to shift you to Gokul. And we never saw your childhood pastimes. We never saw that form of yours where you would eat butter. You please show me that form where you would hold Mother Yashoda's churning rod. You would stand there and you would eat butter. You show me that form. And your cow herding pastimes, we never saw all that. So Krishna immediately manifested his form as the young Krishna who was in uh, Gokul Vrindavan who would herd cow herds, uh, you know, cows with a rope and he would have that churning rod of Mother Yashoda and butter in one hand. So that is what he manifested to show to Mother Devaki. But it's, it, it's said that Rukmini Devi took darshan of that uh, the, uh, form when Krishna manifested it for Devaki. And she told, she requested Lord Krishna because she became so attracted to that form. She said, I want to worship you in this particular form, my Lord, because it is so attractive, your childhood form. And then, you know, Krishna got a beautiful deity cowed for Mother uh, Rukmini. And Rukmini had personally worshipped this deity which we see was, you know, gifted to Madhavacharya and we see which is being, which is there even today in Udipi temple. So that is the history of this deity. Mother Devaki personally had darshan and then Rukmini personally worshipped this particular deity of Krishna. So he established a beautiful uh, temple um, in Udipi for the worship of Krishna and therefore he came to be known as Udipi Krishna. And he had eight principal disciples whom he called as Mathadipatis and they would rotate every two years. They would take charge of the mud and they would run the mud and then he established eight months so then they would go back to their own mud. So after many years of preaching like this, he again had a desire to go and meet his Guru. So he again took that trip to Adi Badri and that time when he met his Guru, Vyasadeva was very pleased again he embraced him and that time Vyasadeva gave him the instruction that you write the commentary on Mahabharat now. And sitting over there in Adi Badri only, Madhavacharya wrote the whole commentary on the Mahabharata. So, and that is the commentary on which most of the, you know, now the current commentaries of Mahabharata are based on that original commentary because it is a Vaishnava commentary on the Mahabharata. And also Vyasadeva, just out of love for his disciple, he gifted him eight Shaligram Shilas. And these Shaligram Shilas are actually being worshipped even now in the Udupi Krishna temple. So when every, those eight Mathadipatis are there, when every, all of those Mathadipatis take charge, they actually worship the Shaligram Shilas along with the Udupi Krishna deity very lovingly. And Madhavacharya has established very high standard of worship in Udupi Krishna. So, you know, there are, there was a lecture which was in last year, there was a Parikrama that had happened, virtual Parikrama, online Parikrama. And that time they described how the whole, you know, worship happens from morning to evening of Udipi Krishna. Such a nice way they worship that deity. So that is the second principle Madhava, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took from Madhavacharya or from this particular Sampradaya is how the Archavigraha is an eternal representation of Lord Krishna. And you know, deity worship is accepted as an eternal worship of Lord Krishna. And, um, you know, uh, in two minutes we will discuss even the disappearance. So it's very unique the way in which Madhavacharya disappeared. So he was, I think, 79 or 80 years old. And he had already started indicating to his uh, disciples that I am going to leave this world soon. I am going to leave this world soon. And uh, one day, you know, outside the Udipi temple, there is a big uh, slab of stone. So normally he would sit there and he would preach. Whenever he was giving lectures and all, he would sit there and he would preach. Even writing books, everything, he used to sit on that slab of stone. So one day he was sitting and talking. Obviously he was preaching, there was a huge group of uh, devotees that had gathered over there to hear from him. 
and while preaching like that he suddenly disappeared from this world and he was telling everybody that i'm going to go and join my guru and serve him eternally so it is said that his cloth and the garland that he was wearing they just suddenly fell and his body disappeared from there and at that moment it is said flowers actually fell from the sky the demigods were uh, showering flowers over there just to celebrate the auspicious disappearance of this this great acharya so he went and joined his guru vyasadev in adi bradri padri to serve him eternally over there so these are some of the glories of madhavacharya because we are the brahma madhava gaudiya sampradaya especially this acharya has a lot of prominence and significance in our own sampradaya because chaitanya mahaprabhu accepted his disciples as his guru so you know on the appearance day of these acharyas they are very merciful so we pray that we get some blessings from these acharyas we also become a bit serious in our krishna consciousness and devote ourselves to shrila prabhupad mission and spreading the mission like al madhavacharya was spreading krishna consciousness all over the world at that time so we'll stop here um, any questions or comments or corrections In the class here, Gantraj Shrimad Bhagavatam ki, Jai. Shri La Prabhupada ki, Jai, Jai Nitai Gaur Premanandai.